tell you what, the amount of my pocket money I wasted on fake cigarettes from the magic shop as a kid. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm Pete. And welcome to How I Hobby. We're two pals and hobby obsessives with over a hundred hobbies between us. And we're always on the lookout for more. Join us as we talk about all of our hobbies. And talk to people we know about their really cool hobbies. Welcome to How I Hobby. In today's episode, we've got a great interview with Matt Bernstein, whose hobby is so extra. But first, Pete, how do you hobby? I'll tell you how I hobby. Yeah. I spot telephone kiosks. Cool. (laughs) Pete, what does that mean? Well, you know, train spotters, uh-huh. spot trains. Like the movie? Yeah, yeah, plane spotters, spot planes. No, yeah. not like the movie. Not like Definitely the movie. Okay. not like the movie. Okay. And uh, I spot telephone kiosks. Cool. When you spot phone kiosks, yep. what are you looking for? How, is they, how have they changed over time? There's different models of them. Okay. How many? Less than 20, okay. but, more than, twi- but wow. more than 10. Wow. Um, so the first one was introduced in like 1921. Wow. But the first red phone box that we all know and love. Yeah. Um, so that was brought in in 1926. That's the K2 model. Wow. And that was designed by uh, Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, who also designed Liverpool Cathedral and Battersea Power Station. Whoa. Yeah. The K2. The K2. Not to be confused with the mountain. Not to be confused with the mountain. Okay. Yes, indeed. The next big one was the K6, which is another red phone box, also uh, designed by Gilbert Scott. Yeah. Um, there was the K8 yeah. in 1968, which is my favourite. Why? There aren't many of them around. It just looks really cool. It's okay. a weird thing. I'll put a picture up on, you know, on the Instagram. It's just weird. It looks different to all the others. And it's an odd little thing. Yeah. Um, then didn't have a new one until like 85. Whoa. And then we had the KX100s and the KX models, which are like the more modern ones. Like they, They're like clear glass okay. boxes that you see. Yeah. And there was quite a quite an uproar when they came out. People thought they were ugly and horrible. But I really like them. I like them all. Yeah. And the reason why... Tell me. Unless you're looking for them, you don't see them. Hmm. I feel like that's like a motto for life. They're like, yeah. They they have this power of invisibility because nobody uses payphones anymore. Yeah. You don't even notice that it's there until you start spotting them. And then you realize, oh my God, there's like three on the way to the train station today that I never knew were there. Wow. They're magical things. Like Harry Potter. Just like Harry Potter, the yeah. telephone kiosk of requirement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're great. That's really cool. Yeah. But it just sort of encourages you to look around as well and just see what else you're missing. And wherever you live, there's always going to be interesting, weird little quirks of architecture or street furniture, things like that. Yeah. And just, you know, just keep an eye open for things because you never know what's out there. Pete, that was amazing. <laughs> and now to our episode. Yeah. Matt Bernstein is a landscape architect based in Toronto, Canada. His company has completed massive projects across the U.S. and Canada, including Nunavut, which for our non-Canadian listeners is one of the most northern places in Canada and most difficult to get to. He's also a proud husband and dad of three strong-ass women. Matt is an avid sailor, scuba diver, motorcyclist, musician, and all-around interesting dude. He's also my stepdad. Matt, tell us, how do you hobby? I'm a supernumerary with the Canadian Opera Company. Cool. Fantastic. So Matt, for our non-opera literate audience, tell us, what does that mean? 
if you've ever been to the opera, you'll see a lot of people on stage sometimes, and a lot of them are singing, but a lot of them aren't. And we're basically dressed up, movable scenery on the stage that helps support the story of the opera. In short words, you are an extra in the opera. I would be considered an extra. So how long have you been doing this, Matt? Um, About 12 years now. And and I try to get at least one or two productions. Sometimes there's three productions a year that I could participate in. Mm -hmm. So it's been going on for quite a while. Matt, how many operas have you been in over your time? About 14. So Matt, how did you get into this? Well, it's a great story. And basically, uh, my wife, should I say Kayla's mom, saw an article in the in the paper saying that the Canadian Opera Company was looking for bald-headed guys to be in an opera. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and she said, well, my husband's bald and he loves classical music, and but he'll never call you up. And they said, don't worry, we'll call him up. And so the next day at work, I got a call from the Canadian Opera Company saying, like, come on down. We want to see you. And I said, okay. And, you know, I'm saying, like, I don't really sing. I mean, what could they want me? What could they possibly want me for? So I went down there and they took me into the costuming department. They looked at me and they said, okay, you're what we're looking for. They measured me up. They said, come back in two weeks. And so I came back in two weeks. They put me in a big room filled with all other bald-headed guys. <laughs> it, was, it was like the mothership of bald-headed guys. And they said, okay, you're all in this opera. You're all Siberian prisoners at the turn of the century. And like rehearsals start now. It, it wasn't like a happy opera. It was called From the House of the Dead. I had such an amazing time. I said, I want to do this more. And they said, okay, we'll put you on the list. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. You've been a lover of classical music, as you said, but also of opera for many years, even before that. What was the first opera that you remember seeing? Um, The first opera I saw was um, Tales of Hoffman. Uh I, I was just taken by it. But when I was growing up, of course, my parents were, they didn't want to listen, want me to listen to rock and roll. So they made me listen to two kinds of records, classical music and Harry Belafonte. (laughs) Good mix. Nothing wrong with Harry Belafonte. So what's your, what's your favorite opera that you've done? So the most fun I've had was uh, Eugene Onegin. And I had actually three roles. I was the priest. Then I was, I got to attend a ball. So I was wearing a tuxedo and then I was a butler so I got to wear a very fancy butler costume with a white wig and, you know, like from the 1700s. What's your favorite opera that you haven't done? I mean, what what, what would you love to be, uh, to play a part in? You know, like Puccini, mm-hmm. um, like Bohème mm-hmm. would, be, would be a lot of fun to do. Um, Don Giovanni. Ah, that's my favorite. Yeah, Don Giovanni. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Filth, absolute filth. Um, So Matt, tell us, what's your favorite part of being a super? Amazingly enough, being on the stage is is fun, but being at rehearsals and seeing how the opera is created and how the director works with the singers and the whole creative process, 
that's, and you get to see it, right? So few people actually get to see that part of it. That's a lot of fun. Now, being in the opera is a lot of fun too. I mean, being on that stage, it's like the best seats in the house. You've also made, I know personally, you've made a lot of friends for the opera, both um, fellow supers as well as like world-renowned performers. Yeah. I mean, because you're part of the company, over the years, you get to know these people and you become friendly with them. And in fact, because of it, I've joined the board of this small independent opera company right across Canada. Um, I'll give them a plug. It's called Against the Grain Theatre. Yep. And um, I've met some amazing artists and some amazing people through that. So there really, really is a, it's a small group. It's, they're all amazing once you get to know them. You know, the artists are, the artists are very funny after the art. You say, oh my God, you were just so amazing tonight. And then they're your, like your friends forever. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, didn't we have, we had a, we had a really famous opera singer who's American who lives in Germany and she came to our Passover Seder. Oh, you sing Helene Schneiderman. Yeah. She was with the, um, in Stuttgart, Stadtsoper. You know, it was, I met her in Eugene O'Negan and we became uh, we became close friends after after that, and I still talk with her quite often. Matt, you mentioned Against the Grain, which is a theater you're involved in. Can you talk a bit more about that? Because it's a super cool concept, right? When we think of opera and the opera that you're in with the COC, the Canadian Opera Company, company that's you know on a grand stage. Yeah, yeah. Versus, and that you know can sometimes be quite cost prohibitive and inaccessible mm-hmm. for you know the average person. Um, the against the grain is a really cool concept. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So against the grain is a small independent opera company in Canada. And the, the whole idea is making opera accessible. So we have um, amazing artists and some of them are actually world famous. We just did one with Gerald Finley, who's Ooh. sung with the London opera with the London opera. And the idea is to present these, these things, these operas in small theaters in some cases, the the audience becomes part of the opera itself, and we're at, they're asked to participate in the opera. And but it's great because you know you have the audience right there, and you have these world class singers and class productions that are really accessible for for everybody. So I had, I had um, a similar experience when I was so when I was when I was a kid, my dad uh, wanted to take me to see a Shakespeare play. I was very, very young. I was like, oh, Shakespeare's boring. Um, And he took me to see Julius Caesar. And it was in the round, but he got us. They called them promenade tickets. Um, So you were on stage with the actors um, as part of the crowd scenes. And, you know, you were shouting and booing and whatever. And I was very, very fortunate that we got, that I had that experience. Does it? Does it cost a lot to to be a super in that, or do they hire you, or are you paying for the are you paying for the the privilege essentially? Essentially, it's a volunteering kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They give you a, a small honorarium All at right. the end, um, which is which is nice, but it's really volunteer, and the people there just uh, just love to be part of the opera, be part of the whole process. Lovely, you know, the whole, uh, the, you know, engaging with the artists, being part of the. Um, the rehearsal process it's all that's what they're all there for so there's the there's the the royal opera house there's the met there's la scala there's uh there's the amphitheater in verona where would you most like to be a super so we were just in paris recently 
Um, and we saw an opera at uh, the Palais Garnier. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. With the Chagall ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with Helene Schneiderman the other day. I was telling her about how we were at the Palais Garnier. And she said, well, she's sung there lots of times. And I said, I asked her, like, so when you're on stage, do you ever look up at that ceiling and just go, wow? And she goes, yeah, every time. (laughs) (laughs) You are a man of many hobbies. Some may say you are a Renaissance man, because apart from the list of hobbies that I did in the intro, and I will brag on your behalf that you were invited by the Canadian Olympic team to try out to be on their sailing team as a teenager. So you are, you are the hobby, you are like the OG hobby hobbyist. Um, Never ending. It's never ending. Matt also was an avid fencer as a teenager. So you've had so many hobbies, past and present. If money was no object, what hobby would you pursue next? I want to learn how to fly an airplane. Cool. That's a great answer. So that you essentially cover, like, you've covered the on land. You've covered the, like, below land. Yeah. Yeah. And next is bird-like. Okay, great. So, Matt, got a, quite a, a deep question here. They were getting into the existential stuff. What has your hobby taught you about yourself and about life? Well, collaboration. You have to learn to collaborate. Um, and you have to just go out and experience it. And expose, your, expose yourself. I mean, get out, conquer your fears. You know, some people have a fear about going out in front of, like, all these people and but it's not like that at all. And, you know, if you're able to overcome that and like participate with a group, it's really amazing. It like really is a lot of, it really is a lot of fun. And with all these other people who love the same thing as you, that was, that's what makes life worthwhile. Cool. That's really wonderful. Lovely that was stuff. awesome. So Matt, I've got one, uh, one question for you. Kayla tells me that her mom has loads of hobbies. You have loads of hobbies. How do you juggle as a household having that many hobbies going on under one roof? This is a really good question. And it's not easy. (laughs) It's hard. And you just have to, first of all, go with the attitude like the other person has to express themselves. And you really have to work at making time where you could be together. Mm. and focus on what's important that you should be doing together. So, you know what? It's a good question, and it's not an easy answer. It's hard. It's hard. But it's worth it. I think, you know, having having people being able to express themselves and do their, do their thing is really important to uh, having a sustainable and healthy uh, marriage and family. I find that really impressive um, with both of you because mommy has loads of hobbies. She just got into camping recently. She now wants to get into swimming. I think it's because I've recently gone into swimming. She's taking acting lessons. She's taking acting lessons. She did uh, improv. I used to do improv. Yeah, but she's Canadian. We've already established that it's compulsory. Out of the womb, you either have to do improv or ice hockey. That's that's just a fact. She's actually been in three operas. And she has. And I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that is one of the things that I wanted to highlight for our audience and for Pete Mm. is Matt's done 14 operas. Mm -hmm. My mom has done three operas. Not only did you recruit mummy, but you also recruited my other sister, Jillian. When Jillian was in high school, she was, she was a waif, a French waif during the revolution. In which opera was this, Matt? 
uh, Dialogue of the Carmelites. That was you, Mum, and Jillian were all in the opera together. Yeah, we're all together in that one. That's tremendous. Yeah. What a lovely thing to do. So nice. Yeah. Okay, Matt, this is our final question for you. 30-second pitch. Mm-hmm. Why should people explore being a super in the opera as a hobby? So if even if you're not creative, you could participate in a creative process, right? Just being there. Even if you're standing on the, even the director says, okay, I want you to stand over here and walk over there. I mean, that's being part of the creative process, right? And that's participating in a, in a vision. And that's like an amazing thing to do, right? And, you know, being on the stage is a lot of fun. You get to dress up in fancy costumes and everything else, <laughs> but being part of seeing how people create things is an amazing, amazing thing to see. That was so cool. What a cool hobby. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. What I think is so interesting about your hobby, um, relative to the other guests that we've had on the podcast, is from loads of other folks we've we've spoken to about their hobbies, it's very much about something that's meditative. Their hobby helps them separate their job from the rest of their life. Their hobby is very much individualistic for them. And what I think is so cool about your hobby is that it, in your own words, it's a collaborative thing. It's very much a social thing. It's a being amongst people and having this shared experience that's very tied to creativity. It's been really cool for me, and mm. I think for Pete as well, to hear this other side of what a hobby could bring to you um, as an individual. So- That was wicked. That was really, really cool. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, We loved having you. So much fun. And I can't wait to, you know, see the rest of your podcasts and hear all about the other hobbies that you're exploring. Thank you so much. And we're going to link against the grain as well in Mm -hmm. our show notes because it's a super cool endeavor. Against the grain. Check them out. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks to you. Bye, Matt. Okay. Bye-bye. That was our interview with Matt Bernstein. We had a blast. Hope you did too. But before we go, we want to share this week's celebrity hobby. Mm-hmm. Drum roll. Uh, did you know Katy Perry collects locks of hair from other celebrities? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's wild. Very freaky. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Don't you okay on. And that's a wrap. <laughs> I've been Pete. And I've been Kayla. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us much easier to find. And follow us on Instagram at HowIHobby. See you next time. Toodles. How I Hobby was written and produced by Kayla Lean and Pete Faulkner. With music by Pete Faulkner, artwork by Laura Walsh, and animation by Kayla Lean. If you'd like to be featured on the pod, find us on Instagram or email us at howihobby at gmail.com.